When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, tech fans, and welcome into the latest Tech Sideline podcast, originating from TSL's High Tech Studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. We are recording today, Thursday, April 11th, 2019. I'm your proud host, Evan Hughes. We're joined, as always, the normal trio with the head honcho, Will Stewart, managing editor, Chris Coleman. Guys, as always, a pleasure to be with you guys and a lot going on in Hokie Nation. How are you all holding up with what's been a busy week? I'm ready for next week. <laughs> uh, I'm doing all right. I've had a lot of personal family stuff going on, so I've been burning the candle at both ends. So, Well, we're glad that you guys are here, ready to talk hokey sports, and again, we're glad you're with us. Whether you're watching live on Facebook, hello, everybody. Be sure to get your questions ready, or if you're listening on SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts, thanks so much for making Tech Sideline a part of your week. We've got a lot to get to, including the big news of the week. Virginia Tech men's basketball hiring Mike Young away from Wofford. Coach Young coming home, coming back to the New River Valley, where his love for basketball began. We'll be breaking down the hire. What does it mean for this year's upcoming team and more? We've got CeCe and Will to break that down. We'll also be previewing. There's football this weekend. We will be previewing the spring game this weekend because, yes, there is football back in Blacksburg for the first time in a couple of months. We'll get both Will and Chris's thoughts on some of the big key components to look out for in the spring game this weekend. Plus, Keely Rochard attacked softball through a perfect game against 17th-ranked James Madison last night. And Reagan McGarity, the first Hokie women's basketball player to be drafted in the WNBA draft since 2007. Oh, okay. So it has been 12 years. We're going to break all of that down here on the Tech Sideline Podcast, which is proudly presented each and every week by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses. From their offices in Blacksburg and Roanoke, the Fisher Law Firm handles cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia. To date, the firm has defended more than 30,000 people charged with moving violations. For a free consultation, call anytime, day or evening, toll-free at 1-800-680-7031. That's 1-800-680-7031. Or you can email them at info at fisherlegal.com. Here we go. Let's jump right into it, guys, with uh, the flight tracker season is over. <laughs> Uh, the speculation, the rumors, the refreshing Twitter, it's over. The head coach has been announced, but I'll let CC comment on what has been flight a whirlwind tracker. flight tracker season. <laughs> That's what I want to comment on. So everybody following flight tracker these days, it's, it's ridiculous. Like, I really doubt what Babcock was going to use the school plane because he knows people are going to be following that stuff. I'm sure he took a – either he took a booster's private plane or – or just a regular flight or something like that. But I know at one point uh, the Virginia Tech plane was landing at uh, 
uh, what was the airport they were talking? They almost landed in in the movie Sully, Teterboro. Teterboro, yeah. Yeah. So that got put out there on Twitter. Oh man, they must be going to see Kevin Willard, Kevin Willard or, who, or, or whoever. And uh, no, it was a guy I know who works for Virginia Tech, and that was an academic fundraising flight on the academic side of things. As are ninety nine percent of the flights you see on the university plane. You know, believe it or not, academics do take precedence over athletics when it comes to the university plane. And there so. was there was some mention at one point of uh, the private a private plane owned by a member of the Virginia Tech Board of Visitors um, going. I, I don't remember the name of the airport. It's up in Wojo area, Steve Wojcikowski <laughs> area, and then coming to Blacksburg and spending a couple of days in Blacksburg, or maybe vice versa. Um, well, that's because there was a board of board of visitors meeting in Blacksburg. Um, that's why that BOV's plane was in Blacksburg. It wasn't to commiserate with wit about the uh the hiring of a new head coach so it's fun this is not criticism this is all fun right you know it's uh it, it gets lots of retweets and creates a lot of action and interest by the way this happens at a lot of schools right everybody's you know looking at flights in roanoke international and is, is that what roanoke regional is that the uh it's exactly roanoke, yeah. the roanoke blacksburg Yes, it's actually That's got right. the word Blacksburg. Just flew out of that the other day, but everybody just kind of glued in, and, and Twitter certainly had a lot of fun with it. But let's let's jump right in. The news of the week, Virginia Tech has their new coach, uh, Whit Babcock, making the decision just days after Buzz Williams announcing his decision to go to Texas A&M. He goes with Coach Mike Young coming over from Wofford, and a lot of ties for Mike Young back to the New River Valley. He went to Radford High School. He grew up going to Virginia Tech basketball games. As he said in his press conference, his love for basketball started inside Castle, and you could see the genuine emotion and love he has for Virginia Tech in the press conference. Uh, quickly, I'll get CC's thoughts, and then the floor is all <laughs> on Will. Uh, it's one of those hires that, if it works out, will turn out to be really popular because yeah. he's such a all-in Virginia Tech guy. He's the local guy, which Virginia Tech fans, or at least the Virginia Tech fans in this part of the state, really like. Um, I think his success will come down to whether he's able to recruit at this level, and and that will be decided in part, certainly, uh, with the assistant coaches he hires. I think he's a good enough coach. I, I think Steve Donahue was a good enough coach. That guy took – uh, I think it was Cornell to a bunch of NCAA tournaments in a row, including a Sweet 16. Then went to Boston College, ran them into the ground, then went back to the Ivy League to Penn and took them to the NCAA tournament. So in situations where he did not have to recruit against heavy hitters, he was a good enough coach to get two teams to the NCAA tournament. But when uh, he got a to man's Boston, got to know his limitations, right? So, <laughs> That's an old saying. Exactly. When he got to the ACC and he needed talent, you know, you, there's no coach out there that's a good enough X's and O's coach to succeed without talent. Um, Buzz Williams went two and sixteen in the ACC in his first year, and I think we all know that Buzz Williams is not a two and sixteen coach. You know, he didn't have the players. Uh, you need players. So, to me, that's uh, the biggest question of this hire is uh, just. He's been at the low major level for so long. He's never even been an assistant higher than the low major level. And Yeah, so everybody's talking about his 17 years at Wofford. He was an assistant at Wofford for 13 more, so that's yep. 30 years basically, almost since the very beginning of his professional career at Wofford. I want to point out that I know because Whit Babcock made a home run higher last time, 
with Buzz Williams. And that was kind of a special case situation. The timing lined up perfectly. The timing was very poor this time. I mean, a lot of people wanted Wojo. He was a hot name. Well, ESPN just rolled out their early, way too early top 25 for next year. Marquette is number two in the country. They bring back all their players. It's, it's what I said before Buzz even left. I said, forget about – I said, not don't forget about Wojo, but it's not likely. I mean, you don't walk away from your best team ever. If, I mean, I'm a Virginia Tech grad. If I was at Marquette and I had the number two team in the country possibly, I wouldn't walk away from it. And I'm a Tech grad. Uh, you know, that, that would just be a foolish career move for him. Yeah, because, because if he takes that team next year to the Sweet 16, Elite Eight, Final Four, he's going to be able to get a better job than the Virginia Tech job. Right, right. You know, no, no offense to Virginia Tech, but I right. meant what I said. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, Kevin Willard, I, and I, I don't think Kevin Willard – I know, you know, Witt never even met with Kevin Willer. They had a few phone conversations. Uh, that was not a serious flirtation at that point. But even if it was, Kevin Willard in that same list, Seton Hall is ranked number 12 in the country next year. You know, you want to leave a situation like that where you can make a deep NCAA tournament run uh, to come and rebuild and probably win 12 games, 13 games, something like that. Uh, it's So it was poor timing uh, for, a lot of, uh, for a lot of those guys. And, you know, Auburn – Last time, almost got Buzz and ended up hiring Bruce Pearl. Bruce Pearl instead, right? And uh, Buzz thought he was going to get that job, but uh, he also thought he was going to take Auburn to the or not Auburn Marquette to the NIT that year. Instead, they lost their last three or four games of the season, and they didn't even make the NIT. So when he called, you know, when he got in touch with Auburn, he's like, "Okay, I'm ready." And they're like, "Ah, eh, well, you know, we've hired Bruce Pearl instead." That's how Buzz told that story to a friend of mine. Uh, so everything had to line up perfectly for Tech to get Buzz last time. Uh, first of all, he had to want out of Marquette, which he did, and you don't see a lot of elite coaches wanting out of their current job. Uh, and then second, Auburn had to go in a different direction. So he kind of fell into our laps to a certain extent. And, if, and, and who knows what would have happened, who Virginia Tech would have hired if they hadn't hired Buzz Williams uh, last time. But I don't think the timing was right for anybody for Virginia Tech to make a big-time splash hire uh, this time around. And I will say that on paper, Mike Young is the second-best basketball hire Virginia Tech's ever made. Yeah, if you really sit and look at it. Yeah. Um, Give us Will Stewart's thoughts on the Coach Young hire. Well, to, to build on Chris's point, and then I'll get on to my own comments, uh, Buzz was a unicorn. You know, that was a very unusual situation. Mm -hmm. And Whit, uh, Whit Babcock, unfortunately, set a very high bar for himself. Um, so I, I haven't – I've had some stuff going on in, in family life that I've had to tend to. I have not had a chance to really say anything about the hire. I didn't get a chance to write an article about it. Um, Chris did a fine job. I'm not saying we didn't have content about it. Chris brought a very good viewpoint to it. Uh, but I haven't had a chance to say what I thought about it, so it's going to happen here on the podcast. Um, I don't think that there's any question that, that Mike Young can coach basketball. Um, you don't go 30 and 5 in any year. You know, don't give me that, oh, he's had one good year, we're hiring him, off of one, hiring him off of one good year. Well, there's a lot of guys out there that couldn't coach a team to 30 and 5 ever. Um, so he, he can clearly coach basketball, even though Wofford has had up and down years here and there. I don't think there's a question he can handle the X's and O's. Uh, Chris touched him on recruiting, and certainly that is one aspect of the hire that you wonder about. He's got to hire uh, a staff that can recruit 
in the area and recruit that talent level. And I talked to a few guys about this, uh, and, and there is a uh, – it's interesting. There's a poster on our message board whose son played uh, AAU basketball for a few years. He's a pretty good ball player, not a – maybe a low major mid-major prospect uh kid decided not to play basketball and just go to tech as a regular i think his student. dad said low major division two did he yeah. yeah so a d2 kind of guy uh uh 511 maybe really good shooter and that was about it so, but point being that this kid spent a lot of time playing aau ball and some of it he did encounter some upper level guys i can't give you the names right now but some of the guys playing in the acc this guy's son played against him in his days in AAU ball. So the, the concern that he expressed was every college coach, re, coach recruits in AAU ball. Mike, Mike Young has done the AAU circuit and recruited um, at the AAU level. Probably a different level, though, than what we're used to. And, and an example is the, uh, the top 100 camp in Charlottesville every year. Mike Young's probably not going there. Um, I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing he didn't because there aren't kids there that are going to go to Wofford. So let's call it a, you know, a level one and a level two. He's probably done most of his recruiting at a level two. So I wonder about what sort of contacts he has. So the assistants he hires are important. But there's, a, there's another level to it beyond just how is he going to recruit. And that is he has been coaching for a long time at a school with very few resources. Um, that's to his credit in one respect because he's been able to do less rec- with more. recruit kids and win ball games. Yeah, um, that's impressive. More with less. Sorry, do more with less. Yeah, I said that wrong. Uh, if if you ever get a chance, just Google Wofford's basketball gym, and you'll see that up until like a year or two ago, <laughs> yeah. they had a gym where you pull the wooden bleachers out, just like high school. And they finally got a decent place now. It reminds me of the. Uh, I think it's called the Kreger Center at, uh, at Roanoke, which is a, actually a pretty nice place. Uh, but what Mike Young has not done so far is coach at a school with uh, much larger resources. And here's how I think about that. Um, everybody talks about how, every, you know, during a timeout at a Virginia Tech basketball game when Buzz Williams was coaching, a bunch of chairs got dragged out onto the floor. And you had maybe eight or ten players out there, and it looked like you had 15 other people, guys in suits, Buzz and his three assistants and his analysts and his strength. A whole bunch of guys went out there on the floor, you know. And that, you know, the first time you really saw that, in my opinion, is, is the, the Duke basketball program when they'd show up in Castle and Virginia Tech would have to bring extra chairs out for all the guys Duke was bringing with them, and it would kind of go all the way down to the end of the floor. So – that's the model in high-level college basketball these days. Now, we're seeing that model in football where Alabama and Clemson are the two best examples of hiring enormous staffs. You got your nine or ten assistant coaches, your head coach, and 20 or 30 other guys who are supporting the program behind the scenes. Well, that model has been brought to basketball where you have your head coach and your three assistants and then a bunch of guys doing analysis helping with recruiting, et cetera, et cetera. And I asked Mike Young in the press conference, I said, you're at a school now with much greater resources. And I essentially asked him, what are your thoughts on hiring more staff to help with analytics, game planning, preparation, execution, recruiting, et cetera? And he heard the word analytics and he answered that question. He said, I'm not an analytics guy. Uh, I don't sit there and make a lot of decisions based on analytics. 
But when people talk to me, they say, your analytics are among the best in the country, meaning turnover ratio and those sorts of things. But what I was really asking about was when you're coaching in the ACC, and all those, it's a timeout, and all those guys run out onto the floor, Buzz has got a guy that he can turn to and say, okay, we got 15 seconds left. This is Duke's personnel on the floor. What kind of inbounds play do they usually run? Because he's got a guy who has researched that. He's watched a ton of game film, and the guy looks at Buzz and says, okay, 70% of the time they'll run out of this set and they'll run this play. The other 20% of the time they did this, and there were one or two times where they did this. So, bang, Buzz gets with his team, and he decides how to defend that. When you're coaching at Wofford, my guess is you and your three assistants don't get a lot of time to do that sort of stuff. So these are the things that you farm out to. You got you and your three assistants and you got five analysts and you farm different pieces of the puzzle out to them. So when you have to make a decision on the floor in the moment, you've got the data and you've got a specialist, a guy who knows what to tell you. I think Chris says Jamie McNeil is the uh, inbounds play guy. Right? Yes. Now, Jamie was a full-fledged assistant coach, so I don't want to compare apples and oranges. But So all those comments, put that aside. 2.30 at night, last night I'm in bed, I'm wide awake, and I'm thinking about this stuff. And let me tell you a story how it relates to me personally, okay? Tech Sideline's a great website, right? Everybody loves Tech Sideline, we hope, who, who subscribes to if it. If you're watching, we hope you do. Yeah, we you know. We, <laughs> um, during this process of Buzz, was Buzz going to leave, not leave, I, I, it struck me that I have a relationship with a guy named Brandon Jones who runs texags.com. TexAgs is a very similar website to Tech Sideline. It is an independent website. It's not part of a network. It's not 247 or Rivals or anything like that. Brandon runs that thing independently, and it's a huge website. So I'm like, you know what? I need, I need, to, call, I need to hit Brandon up. I need to call him and see what he's hearing about Buzz going to Texas A&M. So I got, I got on the phone with Brandon, and we talked about that. And the hot rumor at the time was that uh, A&M was slow play and buzz because they were taking a look at Beard, Chris Beard, who was still coaching. Brandon's like, no, that's not true. They're, they're going to get buzz. I don't know who's telling you that, but it's not true. So we talked about that for a few minutes, but then we talked about business because it's what we guys do when we get on the phone with each other. So he said, how many subscribers do you have? And I told him, and he said, well, that's pretty good. And I said, how many subscribers you got? He's got three times as many subscribers on TexAgs as we have on TexSideline. Our subscriptions are $85 a year. His are $140 a year. He said, how many guys you got working for you full time? And I said, well, you know, we got some students and things like that, but we got two guys that work full time. How many do you have? Brandon says to me, 26. So what if I got pulled out of Tech Sideline and plunked down into TexAgs.com and told, run it? I wouldn't know what to do. I don't know how to manage 26 people. I don't even know what their jobs are. You know, I, now I, I like to think of myself as a smart guy so I could figure it out. But in the initial moment with that kind of budget and that size, that sort of revenue and that sort of subscriber base, I would be out of my element because I have been doing tech sideline the way I've been doing tech sideline for bleh, 23 years now. Uh, hired Chris in 2005, so Chris has been with us for 14 years. The way we've been doing it is the only way I know how to do it. I don't know how to do something as big as texags.com. And that's the way I think of this. 
I don't want to insult Mike Young, but Mike Young has not cooked in this kitchen. There's a lot of room in here and a lot of pots and pans and stuff he's never owned before in his little kitchen down there, wherever Wofford is. Sorry, I don't know the town. Spartanburg. Spartanburg. I think. Beautiful town, by the way. So Mike Young's probably a really good cook, but he's probably had to make do with just two or three pots and pans and maybe a crock pot. Well, now he's got a whole bunch of pots and pans. He's got an instant pot. He's got two different sizes of instant pots. He's got several different crock pots. You see the point I'm making? He's got all these different spices that he never had before. <laughs> and, he's, and he's got all these sous chefs now that he never had before. Uh-huh. But I wonder, too, to, I, I love the analogy, right? And I also wonder, too, though, when you're doing uh, more with less, do you ever sit there and think, wow, if I could have this or this then that's the, actually how i fr- i think i phrased the question like are, are there things you've wanted to do that you couldn't do at right. rawford that you can do now like if he was saying if i was the head coach of duke this is how i would do it like i wonder if has, that has he, ever he, pops has, up into his head has he ever watched on tv and seen all those chairs come out on the floor and thought to himself dang i wish i had all those chairs and all those people to fill them and so another example is I've been thinking about this lately. Uh, one of the things we've, I wouldn't say we've been struggling with it here on Tech Sideline, but we've just noticed it. So Mike Young comes in, does an introductory press conference. It's 45 minutes long. Can you find a video of that anywhere? No, not really. What you can get is a minute and 20 second long video where Hokie Sports has chopped up the best parts of what Mike said, and they've put it into a shorter video. So that leads me to thinking, I wish I had a videographer who would go and shoot every single press conference and archive the entire thing, put some nice graphics on it, do a transition in, transition out, put it on Tech Sideline's YouTube page. So, yeah, I've played that game. I've played that game of looking and going, I wish I had the resources to do that. And I may have the resources. I'm going to hit up Bill Roth and I'm going to say, I want you to see if you can find us a couple of videographers among your students in the sports media and analytics program. So yes, I have thought about the limitations of my resources and dreamed about what I would do. And and we hope that Mike Young has done the same and is ready to move on all that stuff. CC, to follow up with that, you've, you've sat, you've listened, what do you think? Yeah, I, uh, those are all valid points. Uh, my, my concern is, you know, everything he said, plus when you coach Everybody throws around the term mid-major. Wofford's a low-major. Mid-majors are Butler, Atlantic 10, places like that. Big South, Southern Conference, all that, that's low-major. Not every one of those smaller schools is a mid-major. If they were all mid-majors, then what's below a mid-major? No. The answer to the question is low-major. Wofford is a low-major. It's the lowest end of Division I basketball, the the conference they're in. Um, when When you coach at that level for so long do you even know the right assistants to go out to hire you, you, you've been going to the as Will said the level 2 AAU events you've coached at Wofford since 1989 you began there when they were a division 2 school um, so you could ask advice but do you really know to who to ask advice from um I've heard that he's thinking about retaining Jamie, uh, not Jamie McNeely, Christian Webster, Christian Webster. as an assistant. Uh, 
I have talked to a scout and I've talked to an AAU coach who tell me that would be a horrible idea because Webster is not a good recruiter. Um, one of them even phrased it, one of the worst recruiters I've ever seen in this state. Yikes. So that if he actually, if he retained, and I, Christian's a really nice guy. Christian was hired before he was ready by Buzz. He was only a couple of years out of college. A lot of people told Buzz at the time, don't hire him. Buzz did it anyway because Buzz is going to buzz, you know. But, and I, I'd even heard that Buzz, if he had stayed, was thinking about making that, making a change there. Um, so if Young retains him, that makes me question who he's been talking to. Because the people I've been talking to, who I've been talking to about basketball, and they're generally almost always right. I've been talking to one for over 10 years and another one for probably six to seven years. And I can tell from my personal experiences with them and then everything that goes on on the floor and in recruiting – that they really know what they're talking about. And they specifically understand Virginia Tech's place uh, right. in the uh, college basketball Exactly. World. They know what works at Virginia Tech and what doesn't work. Um, so that concerns me if he decides to, to do that. That makes me think that he's just not talking to the right people and not taking the right advice. Um, now, if he doesn't do it, then I'll be less concerned. There, um, there's going to be a lot of scrutiny on the coaching hires. Right. That's because that's the first – tangible evidence will have mike said all the right things in the press conference for sure yeah and, and i love that he referred to himself in the third person three times i re, i want to cover that guy who says well you know mike young was watching game film and mike young decided to make this call <laughs> well and well, a couple of things that stood out to me about the press conference I because kid, I, I kid i felt like from a standpoint of energizing the fans like you said especially in this part of the region in his background i thought he brought a level of energy about himself to the press conference. Two things that stood out to me. The first thing was saying that he had had other opportunities in the past, but he didn't feel like it was the right fit for him and his family. Now, not to get too personal, I don't know what his wife's job is, but we've been told, oh, his wife has a great job, something like 300000 a year or something like that. Yeah, I don't know exactly what she does. but I'm, I'm just throwing stuff out there. But uh, So that's a big factor for him. Um, yeah, like when, what, when he considers moving somewhere. It's not just him, it's her. and. You know. Some tech fans mentioned Russell Turner at UC Irving as a possibility. Well, his wife is a big-time doctor out there, yeah. a big-time doctor, and I don't know exactly where that is in California, but yeah, I don't, I don't but I'm sure well, they, I'm sure she gets paid a lot of money to be a doctor. In the what state if she's of a specialist who makes four or five hundred thousand a year? She probably makes more than Russell Turner. Right. So. You know, it's one, it's one of those things where... Must be nice. <laughs> yeah, must be nice. So he's in a place with no job pressure, and his wife makes a lot of money. He makes a lot of money. That's a really nice life. Why would you want to uproot? And why I, why and would I, you want to change that? And I think Mike was in a similar situation. Right. Yeah, right. I, th I think, uh, again, not having had a chance to ask him this question, I'm sure he understands Wofford's uh, limits, limited resources. And what, what better guy to coach your team than a guy who can make 160 grand a year and be happy with that? And, and stay there for a long time and grow your program. Yeah. And the other thing was he was really saying, I thought at the end, he really wants a challenge. He really wants to embrace this. And he, you could tell almost that he had really two ways to go. He could have stayed at Wofford and gone down as the best coach ever there. And he had, you he's know, already the best coach right, ever there, yeah. Right, and he's the one who brought them to Division One level. And, uh, and, he, and he could have retired there and sailed off into paradise. But 
wanting the challenge, that's one thing that really stuck out to me. Like, this guy really, I, I believe the word was, he, he has something to prove, was what one of the questions were and one of the answers were. And I, I thought that was really cool. It almost seems like he's got a, a chip on his shoulder after that press conference and what he said. He, he's always been mentioned with the Virginia Tech job, you know, going back to when uh, Boss was, was hired, probably even JJ. Yeah. Uh, and the the response has always been he's never recruited at this level. And he knows that. He knows that that is a criticism of his. Witt knew that he, as he well. And they, they, they were quick to talk about that in the press conference before anybody else brought it up. And he laid out his recruiting plan, by the way, which was not, really – Not really. He said – basically what he said is Virginia Tech is a regional name in college basketball, not a national name. So we have to recruit Maryland, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida to a certain extent. We can't go – get a kid out of Kansas or Texas or someplace like that. We, we, need, we need to focus our efforts on the eastern seaboard. And he's absolutely right as, as far as that goes. Honestly, actually, Buzz Williams said the same thing to somebody I know in the coaching business when he was hired at Virginia Tech. He, um, he said, if we can get local kids, we'll be more likely to succeed and I'll be more likely to stay. And early on, he got local kids. He got Chris Clark. He got Justin Robinson, you know, people like that. But as his tenure went on, you know, he became the number one Canadian recruiter in the country. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, Jamie McNeely. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it's it's. I would I would have been really interested to be a fly on the wall in that conversation between Mike Young and Whit Babcock. Okay, how do you answer the questions about recruiting? Uh, you can't just bring three big South coaches with you and expect to recruit at the ACC level. So coaches. Who who do you have in mind? Uh, who do you have in mind? I was told that that Mike Young actually mentioned specific names to Whit Babcock. I, I, I would expect that. And, I, if and if what, I was an athletic was director, I would want to know that he knows some names. And, and we also hear that Wit is, you know, so the so the pay cut for the head coach goes from three million for Buzz Williams to two million for for Mike Young. But that doesn't mean that Wit is going to trim back the other resources in a similar fashion. Yeah, um, I think Mike Young will be able to hire pretty much as many guys as he wants to. I think so. Yep. So that gets back to, you know, can can he envision a scope and a plan for running the program? Right. Um, and it's so not it's not just the assistants, by the way. It's uh support staff. You, you you can really make your support staff work towards recruiting if you hire the right people. Like if Virginia Tech went out and uh hired Chad Myers from Massanutten Academy Military Academy, who has a lot of AAU contacts in this area. Um, it, hire him for a support staff position, and that could potentially be a very good hire for Virginia Tech. Um, you can make a lot of headway in recruiting by hiring guys who aren't necessarily your assistant coaches. Right. Absolutely yeah. right. Um, those AAU coaches, uh, you know, I know everybody likes to lump the, the, the bad AAU stuff, the bad stories makes everybody look bad right but there's a lot of good AAU coaches out there there are, much, there are more good ones than bad ones and uh and those guys want to make sure their guys are going to a place with people that they trust and so if you want to recruit boo williams uh, out of hampton uh it helps to have someone on your staff that the boo williams people are familiar with and they know is a good guy and will take care of their player Simple as that. Yeah. And, and that's how an AAU coach who is in it for the kids thinks. 
he's not thinking about what he can get out of it. Right. And, you know, there, there are both kinds of coaches out there. Again, continuing on the conversation, new head coach for Virginia Tech men's basketball is Mike Young. You're listening to the Tech Sideline Podcast, proudly presented by the Fisher Law Firm. Spend a couple more minutes on this, and then we'll transition into the spring game. One thing that also, I don't know if you guys uh, picked up on this, when he was mentioning some of the states and part of the recruiting, he brought up Florida, and he said that's where Carrie's from, Yeah, which leads me into the next discussion of mm-hmm. he's inheriting a roster uh, that has a lot of guys graduating, of course, and this previous team was a lot of those seniors that Buzz Williams had recruited. You look at guys on the roster right now, it's it's P.J. Horn, it's Isaiah Wilkins, Jonathan Gabongo, Brennan Palmer, and uh, uh, Tyrese, Tyrese Radford. Radford who, uh, yeah, and a couple of those guys are walk-ons. Right, yeah, so. and then uh, Wabisa Beattie entered his name into the transfer portal, portal as well as Landers Nolly. But the big question is Kerry Blackshear Jr., who mm-hmm. is a graduate student. Uh, he'd be a redshirt senior next year. He has not said anything publicly, uh, but, of course, he has many of options. That could be to declare for the NBA draft. That could be to go play European like his dad did. That could be to transfer, or that could be to stay. That, to me, seems like it's the big question and the hot topic on social media and the message board. So, CC, I know we don't necessarily have any public knowledge of it, but what do you think about Kerry Blackshear moving forward? Well, he's got plenty of good options there, obviously. Uh, he would not get drafted. Um he could potentially get signed to a summer league team and do a preseason roster and make it that way. Uh, you know, you're going to ma- start making better salaries in, in the G League starting next year, I, I think, players will. So he, he could potentially have that route open to him. Uh, he's in a grad program. Uh, somebody told me that's like a two-year program. Um, so it, if he transferred, if he's really serious about that grad program, uh, he would have to make sure it's to a school that, you know where the credits transfer from one grad program to another so there, there's there's that part of it um or and this is what i would do i would just go play overseas you 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 you're gar- he would be making six figures immediately your best overseas players eventually make uh seven figures like jamon gordon's uh malcolm delaney they they were all making or delaney still is they were all making you know, like 1.5, 1.7 million euros over there. I mean, that, that, that's nice. And I, th- I think foreign players even get their living expenses paid for. Mm, um, cha-ching. So I look at it like this. You have a short shelf life as a pro athlete. Let's say he, he, t- he signed a European contract next year in Italy or France or Germany, and that initial, co- uh, that initial contract is like 250 grand. That's one extra year of your life making 250 grand. And if you're good enough, you know, the earlier you sign that seven-figure contract. So that's one extra year of your life. You're making one point whatever million dollars. I, I, to me, if it was me, it's a no-brainer. I'm going overseas right now. And, uh, and, and I'm actually a little bit surprised more guys don't, don't do that. And maybe they will as, you as know, time goes on. Right, as time goes on. But, you know, if, you, if you've already graduated and – you can start making. I mean, like I said, you got a limited shelf life on on how how long you can play professional sports, and if that's that, an that, extra year making six or seven figures, man. That can go a long way. That, that's Chris's long winded way of saying we just don't think he's coming back. And I think it's kind of odd, actually, that he hasn't announced his intentions yet. Um, well, there's no there's no big hurry. It doesn't. Seem I, I mean, he's not going to leave in the middle of the semester. So he he doesn't have to decide. He doesn't have to right announce. Now. So anything from from what I'm hearing from you, the big incentive for Kerry Blackshear Jr. to return 
would be his graduate program. Correct. I think that's fair. Uh, but, you know, he could. Which he, is a legit argument, of course. Okay. I mean, you do a year of it. Like you're saying, it's true. It's two years. If he comes back, he's not going to the NCAA tournament. Yes, the offense will run through him, but he will be surrounded by players who aren't nearly as good as the players he was surrounded by last year. You have no idea. I mean, I like Mike Young personally. Seems like a good guy, but not everybody gets along, right? I mean, what if, what, what if after a little while, Blackshear realized, man. This guy's not really my – this isn't really my coaching style. I don't really like it. Then you're kind of stuck, right? And you're like, man, I should have just gone to Europe and made 250 this year. And uh, there's going to be a lot more losing going on next year. It's and not, that's, it's, that's not right. nearly as much fun. That's not nearly as much fun. <laughs> or, <laughs> if you're going to lose, go get paid in Europe. You know? and, and one thing, too, to think about as well, while I'm sure he is tight with a bunch of the younger guys, too, his core group of friends, I'm sure, just by the class that he came with, are your Justin Robinsons, yeah. are your Med sure. Hills. I mean, those yeah. are your your friends that you grew up with. And he would almost kind of be the the last one left, right? like a sore thumb, pretty much, as, yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, so, I, I don't know. I mean, everybody thinks views things through different lens. Uh, I'm just saying what I personally would do. I didn't really like school anyway, so that's coming from from that lens, but partially. But uh, uh, you know, if he's really serious about that graduate degree, honestly, once he's done making several million throughout the course of a European career, if he really wants that graduate it. degree, he can come back and get it. Yeah. That's one, the way I see it. And one thing to keep in mind: so his dad, Kerry, uh, played basketball at Stetson. He was the A Sun Player of the Year as a junior, and he graduated school's all-time leading scorer. But then he played professionally overseas for ten years. So right. this is something that he Kerry spent part part of his childhood in Spain. He knows what the lifestyle is, so he he's he's in a good position to make a well-informed decision. He's he's more like he, where was Jamon from? Georgia. Yeah. He's 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 going to be more comfortable with that notion than a guy like Jamon who did it and did very well at it right you know well uh last thing before we move on uh two players of the class of four for this year have decommitted the the headline being uh ant harris the guard from northern virginia uh again the reason to bring that up you know it potentially could open up scholarships for coach mike young so how do you plan you know for this next month or two what are going to be at the top of his list moving forward besides uh, assembling a, a staff filling out his team by the way jamon's actually from jacksonville I don't know okay about it. it was coleman collins who was from georgia right. but anyway uh you've got to uh jamon just sounded like he's from georgia it did, he did you're exactly <laughs> right um I it's hard to say at this point i mean of the guys scheduled there's eight guys who could come back right now uh if you don't count the two recruits who have requested out of their LOIs. But of those of those eight guys, two of them are in the transfer portal. I don't expect Landers and Ollie to come back. I'm not sure I want him to. I don't even know what his academic situation is. I don't think I can deal with another year of posts at the top of the message board. Do you know what's up with Landers Nolly? No, and we're not going to know. It's a <laughs> private student situation. Nobody's going to say anything How about publicly. we get some guys in here who are going to play? Right. How sure. about we get some guys in here who are going to play? Landers needs to go to JUCO. Get his academic situation straight, and the, and the, and then go play basketball. That that that's my take on that. Well, Bisa beating thoughts on him? I think he's more likely to come back. I think he and Young would would get along. That, that, that's I, th- my I think Bisa's biggest issue is confidence. Um, yeah. I, I really think, and I know, I, not not a lot of people agree with me on this. I think he's really close to being a, a decent point guard. Um, you know, I'll just leave it at that. I, I don't think you want to bring in more than five freshmen in one recruiting class. Mm. Um, so, uh, so I, I'm just my opinion that Tech will have more than five spots available in this class when all is said and done. Um, I t- I'll tell you what I might do. Um, 
I remember the uh, the story that Bimbo Coles told me about when, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, when he was thinking about after his freshman year about going to play football, and Frankie Allen sat down and said with him, "I'll give you the ball, you do whatever you want." Um, I wonder if uh, I wonder if maybe Mike Young should go sit down with Aunt Harris and say. Just come to Virginia Tech. I'll give you the ball. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, now, well, well, now funny, Mike, Frankie Mike, Allen was a horrible basketball Mike player. Mike Young's a much better coach than Frankie Allen. <laughs> we lost Frank- a lot of games to, <laughs> under Frankie Allen despite having having bimbo calls. Uh, right? Do so, whatever he wants. Do whatever you want. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, you, there's the JUCO route. You could plug some gaps with some more experienced players. But as far as I know, Mike Young's never recruited JUCO before. I mean, at a private school. I just don't think he has a lot of JUCO experience. He would have to bring in a staff member with a lot with experience recruiting JUCOs to go that route. You could go the grad transfer route for sure. Um, and I, I think Tech should. Uh, like I said, I don't think you should bring in more than five freshmen in, in a class. Um, I think no. that I think that's overkill. So to plug gaps, look, I mean, I don't think we're going to be good next year, but I don't want to win seven or eight games. <coughs> you, you know, I, I, I want to at least look competent. You well, know, there there, there is a challenge though, if you bring in JUCOs and, and grad transfers, at the same time that you're trying to build your culture and, and build your style of play, mm-hmm. it makes that difficult at first. Um, it could, and, and that's just a. I'm not saying you should sign sign ten freshmen, um, right? You know, so it's it, that's that's part of the problem with bringing in guys that are yes. only going to be there a short time. So, uh, but and, and it's hard to say what direction he's going to go until we know which assistants are on the staff. Yeah. So. Great discussion, and as Chris and Sam are saying on Facebook Live, I'm ready for the football discussion. So, yes. uh, so we let's will do a break. And you read my mind. We're going to step aside for a break. When we come back, we'll be talking Virginia Tech football, the spring game happening this week on Saturday in Lane Stadium. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Tech Sideline Podcast, proudly presented by the Fisher Law Firm. If you have received a DUI or other traffic-related offense, the road ahead can seem uncertain. Your official law firm, we have a team that is with you every step of the way. We have the experience that comes along with having defended more than 30,000 criminal and traffic cases statewide and the expertise to get the job done. Call anytime, day or evening, for your free consultation or a complimentary copy of my book. Don't forget to ask us about our free appeal guarantee. To learn how we can help solve your problem, check us out at FisherLegal.com. This is Jonathan Fisher, Class of 98. Let's go. Hokies. Welcome back aboard the Tech Sideline podcast recording on Thursday, April the 11th. So glad you're with us, whether you're watching on Facebook or listening on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts with Will Stewart, Chris Coleman, I'm Evan Hughes. We shift from basketball talk to football because, yes, there is a game this weekend in Lane Stadium. It is the spring game. It's one of the fans' favorite time of the year to come up and enjoy the beautiful weather in Blacksburg, which it looks like it's going to be. Looks like it's going to be a good day. Yeah, in the 70s yeah, here in Blacksburg. But, listen, there's a lot of different angles we can attack uh, from the offseason that Virginia Tech's had. We've mentioned on the podcast to the JUCOs they brought in. But I think we have to start where – the majority of fans on the message boards have been talking about, and that is the quarterback battle. That is Ryan Willis and Quincy Patterson. Uh, CC, I'll open it up to you. Is that your biggest storyline heading into this game? Nah. Because, uh, first of all, we don't even know if it's a battle. We don't know. Yes, technically the starting job is open every year, but how close is Quincy Patterson? Well, I mean, we don't have any idea. Uh, the, the guy, as it came out yesterday, we've been saying forever that he came from a high school that didn't throw the ball. I, I, I couldn't put a number on it until Corey uh, Van Dyke wrote an article today. Like his senior year, they only threw the ball like 70 times. In his entire senior year, they threw the you ball could, 70 You could do times. that in two weeks at Virginia Tech. 
And 20 of those throws are on his high school highlight film. Right. So, I mean, it's just – it's not only just the, the increase in speed and talent and everything like that of people around you. It's just he's asked to do something that he's never had to do before, which is really <laughs> hard. And the guys are – football. <laughs> right. I, I mean, uh, exactly. And so – He's a really smart guy, and he's got a lot of physical talent, but there is an adjustment period when you're asked to be to do something completely different. Um, I, I went back this week and read my scouting report from him from when he signed, and I said my expectation was for him to be competing for a spot in the two deep as a redshirt freshman. He's there Here or ahead of there. So if he's not starting this year, don't freak out, because he, he had a four-star next to his name, coming out of high school for a reason, and that was for his long-term potential. Some people have that ranking because they're advanced enough to play right away. Some people have that ranking because it's a long-term potential ranking, kind of like, uh, gosh, the defensive end that Tech signed a couple of years ago. Uh, and he's, he played as a redshirt freshman this past year from Maryland. Tywon Garbett? Nah, nah Garbett's from Virginia. Uh, Nate Proctor. Nate Proctor was a four-star recruit, so and everybody saw, oh, four-star recruit, he can help early. Not if you actually watch his tape in high school. He didn't. He wasn't a football player. He was just an athlete. He didn't know how to play defensive end. Justin, I said it when he signed. Justin Fuente said it. We signed. Look, this we signed this guy as a developmental prospect. This is a long-term development process for Nate Proctor. But your average fan who just looks at the recruiting ranking doesn't realize that. Well, it's the same thing for Quincy. Um. So don't get all upset if he doesn't play this if he doesn't start this year. No, don't get me wrong. That if it's me, if I'm coaching the team, that dude is my short yardage quarterback. He is my goal yard uh, goal line quarterback at the very least. I mean, 6'3", 6'4", 245 pounds. So the c- conclusion we're arriving at is, and, and I, th- I think this is what we've heard through back channels is, you know, Ryan Willis is the guy at this point in time for 2019. Um, I think so. Uh, you know, no, if Quincy beats him out, fine. I mean, I, I want the best. That, that is not likely. Uh, the, uh, the ideal situation is that, yes, Quincy Patterson wins the starting job because he has the most talent. But the overall ideal situation is to play the guy who gives you the best chance to win now. I know a lot of people want to play Quincy Patterson, but a lot of people also say that Justin Puente should be fired if he goes 6-6 six and six another year. Which might happen if he plays Quincy Patterson. If he Patterson. plays Quincy Patterson, right. So what do you want, to win this year or – to win two, three years from now. Coaches and always want to win the long, next long. game. Correct. So, uh-huh. uh, you know, I, I for sure think uh, that if the season started tomorrow, it would be Ryan Willis. Uh, Angie Catlett asked, do you think the Elite 11 helped him with his throwing? To a certain extent, but, you know, the Elite 11, you know, it's like three or four days. And there's no offense. Well, it's actually a whole process where I think it starts regionally and they build up to it, that. It, right. it, it does, but, uh, you know, I think she's specifically – When he's there with Trent Dilfer. The, yes, the national – the fine, yeah. Um, I would say that it exposed him to the possibilities and how much he had to learn. Yes, no question. I, I think they threw things at him that uh, he didn't know existed before. Yeah. But at the same time, there's no offensive line. There's no defensive line. Um, the route concepts – may or may not be advanced. You're not used to the receivers there. I don't even know which receivers are there, to be honest with you. Uh, the terminology is different. You might not even be running the same plays there that you are in college to a certain extent, depending on the system. So it helps, but I don't think it 
on a scale of one to ten of how much it helps him start this year, I'd say two. I would say that traveling to France doesn't enable you to speak French after two weeks. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. It just exposes you to French, and you're like, oh, man, I've got a lot to learn. I, I probably should get a tutor for this. I'd tell you what, right. Will with the analogies today <laughs> yeah. is spot on. I mean, wow. <laughs> Uh, well, it just comes from a lifetime of trying to dumb stuff down for myself and understand it. By the way, Matt Bright says he he's put on a lot of muscle, it looks like. Those are some pictures that we had <laughs> yeah. on uh, Tech Side. Somebody, yeah, somebody yeah. on our subscriber board said it looked like his thigh muscles were swallowing his knees, and I'd say that's a pretty accurate description. So I, Quincy's always been a big guy, but I thought when he came in last fall, he uh, looked a little smooth, I'll put it that way. And, he's man, he's looking more cut and bigger. Now, yep. Corey Van Dyke hit us up with a uh, email. With a, text Text yesterday and he said just something about Quincy he's got a commanding presence when he's in the room yes he does but it's not and part of that is because of his size he's an immense human being but you don't necessarily say that when an offensive lineman walks in the room so it's part size and part demeanor you know there are other big quarterbacks I mean Ryan Willis isn't a small guy he's 225 230 pounds uh but there's just something about Quincy I agree that that draws people and I think it's his size plus his intelligence. Quincy's got that old man look on his he face. Does, he does. Yeah, he, he does. He, he, he's, he doesn't he's look real like calm. he's 19 years old. No, nah, he doesn't act like it either. So, I mean, I, f- I feel the exact same way about Quincy now as I did when, when he signed. I think he's got a chance to be an elite player. But it's but he just comes from such a different background than a guy like Trevor Lawrence who's able to come in and is a true freshman because oh, I'm sure man. Trevor Lawrence is throwing a ton, right. 300 times a year in high school. Right. And that's just not the case with Quincy. I, I just I think the way things are playing out is the way they ought to. I, I think that Josh Jackson transferring out has made Virginia Tech's quarterback situation a, a lot. I can't find the word I'm looking for, but it's kind of unfolding the way you would want it to. Mm-hmm. Ryan Willis is going to be a lot better this year. Quincy, you know, assuming things stay the way they are, Quincy can learn as his backup as a redshirt freshman, and. I'm actually thinking ahead to who's going to back Quincy up when he's a redshirt sophomore. And, again, none of this is an insult to Knox Kadum or, or Hendon Hooker. Hooker or those guys. Um, but I'm, I'm looking at the guys that are at the top right now. Uh, so it's, I think this is – Josh transferring out just cleared up some of the log jam and made, made the path – Made the Lego blocks fit together. Right. A lot and we don't know what's going to happen with uh, Braxton Burmeister when he enrolls that, this that summer. Too. That they're, too. They're, they're, they're handing out waivers left, left and right, right these days, as they probably should. And um, I actually but, forgot Burmeister. He's, he's a good addition. To right. Um, Absolutely. But, you know, when, uh, when Ryan Willis, original, when they originally took him, you kind of thought, uh, we got Josh Jackson. He's a redshirt freshman. Is This Willis guy's. He's just for depth. We can redshirt Hendon Hooker and Quincy Patterson and all that because Ryan Willis is here. Now he's about to be your starting quarterback for the second year in a row. From the outside looking in, I mean, I, I agree. I, 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 Burmeister, to me, looks like a depth guy. But you never know. Right. You never know when you somebody's going to get hurt, somebody's going to transfer. I, I know it's – it's good gracious. I mean, I, you go back to like 2009 and 2010. 10 and up 2009 specifically when the backup quarterback was Juju Clayton and, and Juju served his purpose because it allowed Logan Thomas to redshirt um, but my god if something had happened to Tyrod that year other than being awesome right uh, he, we, he means we, something bad we, we, we would have been a mess uh, now 
you know, Ryan Willis wasn't perfect last year, but he did, he did a competent job. I mean, he's got physical talent. You know, it's not his fault that the defense was giving up 50 points a week mm-hmm. there for a while. Um, and, you know, if it comes to that this year, uh, you know, I, I think if Willis gets hurt, then, you know, you've at least got a guy in Quincy Patterson who I think would excel at the read option, and you'd have to – you know, limit the passing game to a certain extent. Well, just do some one-read stuff like they did with uh, Gerard. Right, right. And you've you've just got more talent there at that position. And so so there's nothing wrong. I've never met a coach who said he had too many good quarterbacks. So let me ask you this. Now, we're talking so much about Quincy, and it does seem like it is a little bit different of a vibe than it was in the fall, that it might be a little more battle-y to where it, it seems like the vibe we're talking to. It is Willis. It is, it's not even really a battle. It is well, Ryan Willis's gig. Well, I, I guess. No, if it does turn into be a battle, that's a good thing because Ryan Willis, now, there's certainly some things he has to get better at. He was not particularly good at the read option last year as far as decision-making or, or the RPOs as far as his decision-making. Uh, but he's a physically gifted guy. When it came when it comes down to it, the coaching staff was able to coach him into a season where he threw 24 touchdowns and nine interceptions, and two or three of those interceptions right. weren't even his fault. So there's a basic number that Tech quarterbacks are going to put up every year just because of Justin Fuente and Brad Cornelson because they're really good developers of quarterbacks, and they're good at streamlining their offense around their quarterback strengths. And uh, and you know, limiting their weaknesses to, so, to a certain well, and, extent. Well, and Ryan himself said yesterday that he's learning the offense better. That that he's he's right. making strides. So he's improving. Yeah, for sure. And you know, now you know, I think I think pretty much everybody knew Willis included that Jackson was going to be the starter going into last season. It's a lot different when you're going into it preparing to play. Yeah, it, you attack it different from a mental standpoint. Quickly, give me two or three things before we move on. You'd love to see improvements from year one to year two of Ryan Willis here in the spring game this week. Oh, yeah. uh, I mean, I don't know if we'll get to see it in the spring game. I don't know how much read option they'll run. uh, We don't know if the quarterbacks will be live. They're still debating it. Now, if the quarterbacks are live, then, yeah, you want to see – I want to see better decision-making in the the read option because, you know, sometimes he'd keep it when he should have handed it off and sometimes he'd hand it off when he should have kept it. Uh, That and the RPO. But we we don't even know how, how much they've installed at this point in the offense so it's really hard to say i do like that uh, fuente said in the press conference yesterday that uh because there's another week of practice after the spring game that this will actually be a a longer scrimmage than what you're used to seeing yeah. in a spring game and i would have thought otherwise considering the number of players available but, yeah but I, you know i'll take it it, yeah. it should be usually the last scrimmage of the spring is the one that's shorter and usually that's the spring game Couple questions. Is the spring game at two p.m. on Saturday? No, it's at four, 4 p.m. Uh, tailgating will be going on at two p.m., but I would would not recommend going inside of Lane Stadium at two. Gosh, PM. the guys I tailgate with texted me, and they're getting there at seven a.m. Yeah, <laughs> that's a uh, recipe for disaster. Is the TSL van going to make its way out this yeah, weekend? Yeah, oh, yeah, right. Yeah. I haven't had much chance to think about that, but uh, we'll plaster the magnets all over it. So. If you see us, say hi. I have no idea where I'm going to park. None of that. Um, uh, Eric Carr says, word was Cornelson held back plays with Willis, like throwing passes over the middle. I think the coaches will open up the entire playbook. Yeah, and, and that's accurate. And, you know, when we say the coaches help Ryan Willis limit his interceptions, it's 
he didn't see the field, the middle of the field very well last year. And when we say see, we don't mean he couldn't physically see it. We understand that he's 6'4", inches tall, and he can see over the line of scrimmage. But can he recognize what those safeties are doing over the middle of the field and the linebackers and, and things like that? He just didn't have a clear image in his head of what the passing game is over the middle of the field. And so, yes, there were some limitations to the Tech offense because of that. He threw fewer interceptions because they took that out of the playbook quite a bit. Uh, so that, so that that's a way, you know, they help him out by doing that. But on the whole, you could argue that the offense is hurt because that takes out a third of the field, basically, yeah. in the passing game. Uh, so, I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I w- obviously you would prefer that, prefer to have that in the playbook. It, to me, it just – how much has he improved in the offseason? I know they would love to add that part of the play uh, of the playbook. Back. So let me give you a thought that's related slash not related. It's not immediate. It's kind of one to think about. I think that, that when this staff gets its quarterback, and that quarterback has been in the system two or three years, and I guess we're talking about Quincy at this point, assuming he develops and is the starting quarterback for the next few years. I think when this staff gets all the pieces to the puzzle together, I think the quarterback will be a 35-5 guy. Mm-hmm. 35 touchdowns, five interceptions. I don't think that's outrageous. That's what that's about what Paxton Lynch was putting up in his junior and senior year yeah. at yeah. Memphis. Yeah. So, I, I so store that. that one away and and expect that number at some point in the future. All right, clear up for the spring game, 4 p.m. and it will be on ACC Digital Network, right? Will, no. no, it will not be televised anywhere. Only on uh, the Virginia Tech Sports Network. So that will change on the radio. I, I, radio. That's what right. I, with laser and burn up and So I said this on the board uh, yesterday. Um, that's going to change in the future because the ACC network is coming online. Uh, the linear channel, uh, probably more streaming stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I was at South Carolina's spring game last weekend, and it was scheduled for noon, which is not a time that they preferred, but that's when the SEC network told them they were going to play their spring game. Yeah. So I, had, I sat there at South Carolina's spring game, and they had TV timeouts. Spring games are bad enough. You're watching a spring game for a team you don't root for, and they're having TV timeouts. So um, I I don't know exactly what the SEC Network did last Saturday. I assume they had three or four spring games, boom, boom, boom. I know this Saturday they've got three or four spring games all in a row starting at noon. So we had this discussion on the message board where, why don't they put it on TV? I got 50 bucks says next year it's going to be on TV. I don't want to drag out this discussion for very long, but – Spring game, as far as on-campus visits go, is Virginia Tech's biggest recruiting weekend of the year because they uh, there's so many te- so many Tech fans come to the game, and it's just a big atmosphere. And, the, and if you go to other spring games, unless you go to the Penn State spring well, game, it's it's South Carolina was not a great atmosphere. Right. So if you go to South Carolina spring game and you go to Virginia Tech spring game. You're like, man, those Tech fans are really good compared to South Carolina fans. And South Carolina had maybe twelve right. to 15,000 fans there, and they were sitting all over the place. Right. At Virginia Tech, they funnel you all into the West Stands. Right. So they can take pictures from the right angles. And sure, so it's, it looks brilliant. Like there's a ton of people there. Yeah, uh, that part of it's well done. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm against our spring game being televised. I get it. Um, I don't think we're going to have a choice. I, I agree. Uh, we're not. But – if if the if it becomes tradition for the spring game to be on television every year, then more people are going to stay home, and we're going to lose it as a major recruiting tool. Just just another way that the man is keeping Virginia Tech down. <laughs> I have not seen one new rule passed, or one new uh, 
What, what am I thinking about? A new trend. A new trend that, uh, or a rule or anything that has benefited Virginia Tech recruiting in the last 10 years. So, uh, it's all hurt Virginia Tech recruiting. So I've spent years point. fussing about why the ACC doesn't have a network, and now they're going to get one. And, and I agree with Chris. In this aspect, it's probably not going to be good for Virginia Tech. What will be cool is the ACC Network uh, studios that have been being built in the uh, south end zone of Lane that's going to be on Campus Tech. They're going to be able to use it, Hokie Vision, for the first time for the spring game. Pretty fired up for my guys over there, my what, friends, what Will's so. theory is that bump on Beamer Way when, is, is uh, underneath the road. Over the last couple months, there's there's been there's a big bump there when you're driving through. Right. And his theory is that's that those, where the cabling that's goes. where the cables are because <laughs> they're going from the area around the softball stadium to like the area underneath the south end zone. It's it's across that area, yeah, Spring there, Road. There's so. probably fiber optic cables underneath that lump going from the south end zone over to softball, baseball, and Thompson Field. Real quick, in like 90 seconds, both of you, give me just a couple of storylines you're also looking forward to in the spring game this weekend. You know, I mean, Tech, Tech, I know Tech is only going to have one scholarship tight end on the field. They could potentially only have one scholarship running back on the field. Please nobody else get hurt. <laughs> uh, oh, and uh, can the secondary tackle. Those are my – honestly, that that's it. I mean, okay. I, I'll, I say this every year. My first ever spring game was 1999. Because I wanted to come see Michael Vick play, so I got my parents to bring me up, and he went like 3 of 12, and I went back to Danville thinking, man, this guy's not any good. Yeah. And that's how much spring games mean. Okay. So, uh, tackling by the corners, and I'm going to be watching the linebackers. I'm looking forward to seeing Dax and uh, Rayshard Ashby. Um, I think Dax has slimmed down a little bit. I want to see him in person. I want to see him in uniform. And I want to see those guys – I want to see him tackle. There you have it. You mentioned softball a minute ago. That'll transition the final couple of minutes of the podcast to uh, where there's some big news uh, out of softball and women's basketball. I'm going to start with women's basketball because I think this is really, really cool. Last night was the WNBA draft. Uh, there are 12 teams. There are three rounds in Virginia Tech's uh, women's hoops. Redshirt senior Reagan McGarity was drafted in the third round by Connecticut. So how about that for Reagan, uh, somebody who could very well be seeing her jersey retired in the Raptors sometime soon. Is there a rebounding record at Virginia Tech that she's she got, doesn't own? I believe she's got every I single one. I think she's one. got the rebound. Single yeah. season and career, I believe she has yeah. both. Yeah. She's a Swiss Army knife, right? She can shoot. She can rebound. Didn't they ever play in point some while she was here, bringing the ball yes. to the floor? Yep, the last so year. From all that standpoint, it's like how in the world did she slip to the 33rd pick? Um, but, again, I, I think you could really – we talked about Justin Robinson likely maybe having a case to get his number retired. I think Reagan McGarity has a solid case to potentially get her number 11 Just retired. one women's basketball player with her number retired. Yeah, right? uh, yeah. Renee Dennis, yeah. who was from my era. Right. So, again, congratulations uh, to McGarity. And then that will transition to softball, who is now 34-6 on the year. The only ranked matchup in the country yesterday in softball was number 17, James Madison, number 20, Virginia Tech. Tech led in, what, all 12 combined innings, excuse me, 11 of the 12 innings yesterday combined in the doubleheader. They're up one nothing going to the 7th. Mm. Yeah. Gave up three runs. So here's my story. I uh, hear they're leading one to nothing going into the top you of the You started seven. watching in the 7th. So I start watching, and they fall apart. You know, JMU starts hitting the ball, and Tech's defense starts throwing it all over the place. They get down three to one, so I turn it off. So 
They outscored JMU 13-3 yesterday, and I witnessed the three runs by JMU and none of the runs by Tech. Emma Strout had a solo homer in the second, and then they scored three runs. But I thought what was really impressive, right, sometimes when you got to turn around and play 30 minutes, you don't know what's going to happen. They played six runs in the first inning, where going into yesterday, Tech all season was outscoring opponents 53-8 to in the first inning. Hmm. So, nice. uh, and the big news, Keely Rochard throwing the seventh perfect game in Virginia Tech history uh, where she faced the minimum amount of batters you can face in a softball game. That's 15 uh, because they won by mercy rule. Right. Uh, it was slaughter fantastic. Rule, man. Call it what it is. They won by the slaughter rule. <laughs> and they beat a team ranked 17th, and JMU's got one of the best pitchers, if not the best in the country, in Megan Good. So that is a huge – it's not like she's throwing a perfect game against you know a small, low major. That's good or we're talking about a really good team. So here's a research project for you. Of those seven perfect games, how many of them were five-inning games? So, you don't great, have to answer right How now. many of them were pinched by Angela Tincher? How many of them were pitched by Angela Tincher, right. You know, I, I don't know that for a fact. I'll, I'll keep that to <laughs> myself, and we'll talk about it next week. But, listen, a lot going on. Again, congratulations to Reagan, to Keeley. Uh, I tell you what, too, softball generating a lot of traction on the message boards. You go on there, especially on the Olympic sports board. They're uh, VT chip, man. He's got everybody uh, in the loop. Yeah, we, uh, we've we always had a good softball contingent. Um, yeah. And baseball picked up a win uh, on Wednesday night as well at East Tennessee State. They beat Marshall on Tuesday night at home. So the Hokies have already won over 20 games. They continue to have a winning record. And I, I think for them, just getting back healthy is going to be important. You know, they're at the point of the, uh, of the progress of the program where they're smacking around the midweek teams. And now that they've gotten into ACC play, they've kind of hit a wall because obviously they, st- they still need to add more talent, especially to the pitching staff. But uh, And that talent needs to mature also. Right, right. Uh, but they made a lot of progress. Um, and, oh, the last thing, uh, lacrosse this weekend, home 12 o'clock at Thompson Field. So if you're tailgating mm. in Lot 1, it's senior day, and they're welcoming number one Boston College into town. So it will be a really big matchup. Uh, Tech has played top ten opponents in, I believe, their last five matchups of the season. So this is going to be a big one at Thompson Field. The lot 1, by the way, does not open until noon on Saturday. There you go. Because uh, of the run for 32. Oh, the is that what it's for? Okay. run, yeah. yeah. Um, so, you got to look at my Twitter bio. Oh, do we have? All right. Uh, and yes, Derek, the otter is still at the duck pond, as far as I know. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't got to see him yet. That's though. funny. Here we go. In Will's Twitter bio. I remember when Mary Lou said, you want to walk me home from school? And I said, yes, I do. <laughs> that, that is a song lyric. So, um I, I could intone it the way it's supposed to be intoned, but that might give away the song. So should we answer it next week and open up with it? Uh, it, it? It should be more like this. I remember when Mary Lou said, you want to walk me home from school? And I said, yes, I do. I'm still waiting for the day that I recognize this Twitter bio right <laughs> off the bat, but that day has not come yet. Oh, um, <laughs> we'll, we'll touch on it in the beginning of the podcast next week. We're going to leave you in suspense for a week. Uh, so we mentioned everything that's going on this week from men's basketball, women's basketball, softball, baseball, lacrosse, spring game for football. What is going on on TechSideline.com? Honestly, I have no idea. I know we're going to have a Friday Q&A tomorrow. Uh, I've been so wrapped up in uh, the we'll basketball stuff yeah. that, uh, you know, I just, I don't know. 
<laughs> I haven't just dis- well today's Thursday right correct it is okay so nothing today and then the Friday Q&A tomorrow there you have it there and the is. podcast will be the posted which you are listening to well we're gonna have a recruiting article later today also yeah. gotcha gotcha cool well that's gonna do it for uh, this week's podcast again recording on Thursday April 11th thanks so much for watching on Facebook live thanks for your fantastic questions and thanks so much uh, to everybody listening on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud you were going to say something about the helmet or we were, were done just there. touching it? Okay. No, I was just touching the helmet. I was just saying pretty nice, huh, for <laughs> the people on Facebook Live? Yeah. We do. We have a very nice Virginia Tech football helmet sitting right on the desk that will be here next week. It is the matte maroon with the white face mask. Very, very unique. Very May it awesome. never change. May it never change. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Tech Sideline for all of your latest Virginia Tech sports updates. That's going to do it for this week's podcast. For the head hot show, Will Stewart, our managing editor, Chris Coleman. I'm Evan Hughes saying so long. Thanks so much for listening and watching, and we'll talk to you next week right here on the Tech Sideline Podcast.